Welcome to the Codifier Podcast. Codifier is a podcast about emerging trends and technologies with the aim to create bite-sized, entertaining content for everyone from software developers to sales gurus to even your parents so that they can stay clued in and techno-savvy in today's ever-changing world. And welcome to Episode 7, Part 2, Codifier, Browser Security. Last week, we gave a brief history of the browser and thanked Sir Tim Berners-Lee for inventing the World Wide Web, among other things. And we took a little quick dive into Netscape and the kind of technical dominance that created major disruptors like JavaScript and the DOM, the document object model that is essentially the one-two punch that powers most of our major web applications these days. And the real crux of it came down to the fact that the world changed from using static pages to dynamic pages that were running a programming language that had almost complete control over the ability to change the entire page, modify the way it looked, make things disappear and appear, and react and create new events inside your browser. And that's an awful lot of power that we can only really compare to the time when Microsoft added scripting to their suite of Office products. And so began the malicious Word and Excel document that has delivered most of the ransomware and malware that tends to be inhabiting our computers these days. Now, the final analogy I made at the end of the last show was how your browser is a little bit like a house when you're building a web application. The problem with security can be the architecture itself, poor design, bad materials. It can be extensions, or it can just be bad builders, maybe inexperienced developers who don't really have a security culture and are too focused on features and benefits and making it do cool stuff. Now, what I'd like to do in today's show is go through some real-world examples of how that attack surface, which I defined uh, last episode, has been exploited for of various types of, of, of gains for the baddies out there. Now, the first example I'm going to get into is, is going to be pretty geeky straight out of the gate. And it's to do with getting your browser to download a file and do something that you wouldn't necessarily do normally. Because um, normally you think that, well, if I, if I download a file, I get a choice. Do I want to download or not? And if I, even if I download something, I've got to physically double-click it in order for it to run, right? Mm. Not necessarily the case, as last year researcher Bosco Stankovic found a way to exploit an older and essentially outdated file extension called the .scf, and I'm going to guess you've never heard of it. Me neither. It's kind of an old version of the .lnk. If you've ever looked at the extension associated with a desktop shortcut, yeah, that's a .lnk file. Very similar. In fact, if you're into your security stories, you would potentially know that the Stuxnet breach, which was an attempt to destroy Iran's nuclear program, used a malicious .lnk file. So, in this particular case, Bosco, the researcher, found a way to exploit the fact that Chrome will download known safe file types without asking. And a .scf file is one of those file types. So you might be thinking now, well, okay, I've downloaded it. How's he going to get it to run? Ah, that's quite cool and exciting, uh, the way they did it. So a .scf file, I mentioned, is very much like a .lnk file. And if you look inside those files, they're just text files that have a bit of information. And the .scf file has the location of its clever little icon. 
should you put it on your desktop or you view it through Explorer. What Explorer does when you view that folder is it goes to the location where it says the icon is and tries to display that icon to represent the file. I think the important thing to note here is that you've not actually executed anything. All you've done is to go and look at the file or just put it on your desktop and you've made Windows do something without actually executing it, and that is look at the location and go check that location. Now what's interesting is that when you do that in a Windows to Windows machine, if that Windows machine is remote, it will start to engage in a sort of challenge response authentication to make sure that you are who you say you are and you have permission to access that resource. And well, hackers, clever ones, might make that location a machine that they control. So now they can scoop up those authentication credentials that you try to to offer up and now they've uh, they've got your windows credentials so i started off kind of heavy there that was kind of a big one and uh simply by by using a unique file format you've never heard of that has an icon location textually written inside it you've gotten windows to send windows credentials to a location without you even knowing pretty pretty major so now what i'm going to talk a little bit more about is browser extensions the conservatory to your browser house now do you use any uh, you might not know you're using some um i in firefox i have one that i use called download them all which is a more robust downloader in chrome i have adobe acrobat i have something i use called buffer for social media other popular ones are pinterest if you are at work you probably have Cisco's WebEx uh, extension. So it's fair to say that you may not know how many extensions you have, and it's really worth a check. I mean, for example, in Chrome, it's under that vertical menu on the right that says dot, 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 and under more tools and extensions. So make sure you go in there every now and then and make sure you recognize everything that's there. What's important to note is that Chrome extensions are largely written in our old friend JavaScript. Remember that? The list of powers that JavaScript has? Basically, it can do whatever it wants. In fact, just this past February 2018, a browser plugin from a company called TextHelp, the plugin was called BrowserLoud, was hacked, such that anyone using it, which amounted to more than 5,000 browsers, ended up running some malware or cryptojacking software known as CoinHive that took advantage of their processing power to mine the cryptocurrency Monero. What's interesting about that effort uh, specifically to mine cryptocurrencies on behalf of bad guys, is that technically you don't really have to hack anything sometimes to make that happen. I mean, recently, a Starbucks in Buenos Aires, Argentina, used their wait for a few moments while we connect you to the Wi-Fi page to mine cryptocurrency in those few seconds on the laptops of coffee enthusiasts who are logging into their Wi-Fi. Now, it's never been made clear whether this was a Starbucks thing or a Wi-Fi thing, and nobody mentioned anything about anything being hacked in that particular case. So, well, we'll leave you to speculate. So, Browse Aloud is just one example of a particular Chrome extension that was compromised. Now, you need to consider that just about anyone can write an extension for Chrome or Firefox and make it available. Very much like applications in the Google Play Store for Android phones, um, anyone can do it. What seems to be a more typical route for extension hackers is to use that old classic. 
and that is phishing emails. And what they do is they'll send those emails to compromise the developer group that's working on an extension or a plugin, and they then gain access to their Chrome Web Store login and just swap out the known trusted plugin for an extension that is slightly different. It still does what it's supposed to do, but it's got added bonus features now. A few of the extensions that were compromised just in 2017 were the Chromatana extension, Infinity New Tab, Copyfish, Web Paint, Social Fixer, Touch VPN, Betternet VPN, and the list goes on. And I do love the irony that bad guys take advantage of what is meant to be a security or privacy aid like VPN or virtual private network, and then use that against us. Um, in this case, I'm referring more to the Betternet VPN than the Touch VPN, uh, which is actually more marketed at trying to get out-of-country Netflix. And uh, that actually works quite well. Tried it, just for research, of course. Now, the result of installing a malicious plugin is really often just an interception of traffic to present malicious advertising in order to push viewers to malicious or spoofed websites which may attempt to download software you don't want to or steal credentials. What's interesting about many of the plugin breaches is that it could have done so much more. And in saying that, I don't want to encourage them. But considering the current rage for blockchain and distributed computing, and perhaps we should say the word blockchain a few more times, blockchain, 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 blockchain. These extensions could have used a tiny amount of JavaScript code to orchestrate a distributed denial of service attack against a specified target using the power of thousands of unknowing individuals. Hey, I hope you're enjoying Codifier Episode 7, Part 2. I'm considering, whenever I do a Part 1, Part 2, is just having them only one week apart instead of two weeks apart, so you're not left on that cliff edge waiting to see what happens next week. Now, if you think that's a good idea, or for some reason think it's a bad idea, fire an email to us at codifier at gmail.com. Maybe send a message via Facebook, facebook.com slash codifier, or maybe even a Twitter. Uh, the handle is codifier. Hope you're enjoying this and maybe getting a little bit uh, uneasy about the different ways that a browser can be compromised. But we'll end this off with a little bit of a little bit of caution, things you should do to make sure that you know what you're doing in the world of browsing. And now, back to the show. So this particular episode, it could have been three parts. There are a lot of things to discuss in terms of browser security and a lot of examples, a lot of exploits. A lot of really interesting stories out there, and I had to really cut it down. So what I'm going to concentrate on in the next half is just a few smaller examples just to keep you aware. And then I'll end with a bit of, uh, a bit of safety, a bit of, a bit of a cautionary tale uh, as to how you should be a little bit more skeptical in your browsing experience. So moving forward and talking about another example something i wanted to mention and this is probably going a little bit geeky again is something that's called a dom xss and sometimes in the news you'll hear about the phrase cross-site scripting and that sounds technical but it's actually pretty easy to describe now have you ever taken a url out of your browser and that's the you know the the 
location of the address across the top and thought, I'm going to send this to my friend because this article is hilarious. And you paste it into an email and it is huge. And you're thinking, what is up there? Typically, URLs have a ton of extra tokens and cookies and other crap that make it really hard to understand. Sometimes there are really simple things in the URL line that look a bit like language equals French, for example. Really simple stuff. So that's a good example because a lot of sites do have some sort of language-specific element to them. Now, if the page you're on doesn't check that parameter that it receives on the, on the address before using it, and by the way, that's called sanitizing your input, you could change that word French to be actually some script that could be a bit of this JavaScript we're talking about that mines cryptocurrency or, or executes that denial of service we were talking about, or perhaps scans a page for personal information. And if the page uses that blindly, it might accidentally execute some code. So sites that are vulnerable to this, that don't sanitize the input, you can use that to say, hey, go click on this link. And in the link, you actually include some code you want to execute. It's pretty fascinating stuff. I wouldn't worry too much about that. Most modern sites are designed to avoid this vulnerability, but not all, particularly old ones. What can be dangerous about that kind of vulnerability is that the domain or the link that you're being sent is one that you trust. So if you were sent, hey, codifier.com slash you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And if the link was long enough that you didn't really even look at it, someone could take advantage of that if I hadn't sanitized the input for, for our Codifier website. Now, on a similar vein to that, uh, another sort of chink in the browser armor, um, browser armor, if you imagine armor made of lettuce or, or origami, um, is malvertising, as it's come to be known. Even Simpler non-web application sites are allowing for remote advertising servers to inject code that displays advertising. Now, I am 100% sure you've been to a site that has advertising injected into the middle of an article while you're reading it or down the side columns, and all that advertising isn't hosted on the domain that you are browsing. It's often a product of going away, getting advertising often tailored to your browsing trends using the cookies that are stored in your browser to bring back some particular advertising tailored just for you. Now, in 2015, malicious advertising that was injected into a page was responsible for the deployment of the CryptoWall ransomware, which took $1 million of ransom money by infecting over 600,000 computers. Typically, this can be done by luring you away from the page you're on. It's not so much that it injects code that runs locally that does something malicious. It's more like it injects something onto the page that is out of the control of the domain or the website you're actually looking at that wants to lure you away and say, hey, how about this too good to be true offer? Click here and get 200 euros worth of free groceries if you fill in this form. All sorts of stuff that seems somewhat plausible, but isn't and takes you off that nice safe path you were on. Now I'll go through a few other, I would say, more obscure examples of the way JavaScript can be used in a browser to take advantage of what it is you think you're doing and potentially make you do something different. I mean, there's something called clickjacking 
or like jacking, which is interesting, where the JavaScript presents a whole different form or page over top of the page you're actually looking at. And you might think you're clicking one thing, but actually the click is taking effect on something you can't even see. It's quite cool. It takes advantage of abusing the cascading style sheets. And it's like that old trick in movies you see where they, they drop one paper over top of another so that you don't realize what you're signing up to and maybe it's something you didn't want to. The subset, particularly like jacking, there are social media examples where JavaScript has made people download and run particular malware. That's an extreme case, but more like jacking up the likes on a particular Facebook page when you think you're clicking one, but actually you're clicking another. Um, fan pages, Google AdSense, playing a YouTube video that you didn't expect you were going to play, or even following someone on Facebook. There's been quite a few examples of, of this kind of this kind of abuse. So in summary, the gist is when you're using coded web applications, and let me assure you, this is probably going to be 90, 99% of the time these days. Or if you're using browser extensions, and it's worth checking if you, that you know what extensions you're using, or even visiting simpler websites, if there is remote advertising injected into that page, there is an opportunity for something malicious to run, or to take advantage of your resources or scrape for private information and take advantage of your trust of that particular website. And as I said, that probably is over 99% of the websites you visit and probably a reasonable portion of the time you spend on your computer or device. So what can you do about it? Make sure what you're using is up to date. Uh, out of date browsers like using say Windows Explorer on Windows XP, um, or old versions of Firefox and Chrome are bad. I mean, I've said this in other podcasts, that's step one. Keep things up to date, whether that be your operating system, whether that be your browser, whether that be your mobile phone operating system. Most of the releases, most of the patches that come out for software these days are security related and new security vulnerabilities are being found pretty much constantly. It's an open tap. So it's a very good idea much more than ever to try and stay up to date. Now, on top of that, other things to watch out for, well, in the case of crypto mining, it's actually pretty harmless because while you're sitting there making money for somebody else, there hasn't really been many cases of it having an alternative agenda. I mean, evidence, if you think there's some crypto mining going on, would be to just, on a PC, hit Control, Delete, and look at your task manager and sort the processes by memory or CPU usage. And if you see several tabs from your favorite browser, uh, way up in the top 25 using most of your CPU. Uh, yeah, you might be you might want to close your browser in a tab by tab style just to work out where the offending tab is. Other preventative measures you can take, just make sure you understand what extensions are running in your browser and make sure they're by third parties that you trust. And just keep in mind that even if you do trust them, sometimes bad things can happen to those third parties uh, in spite of best efforts. A final, uh, final word would be that if you're taking this really seriously, I would recommend always browsing the internet as what we call a least privileged user account. Uh, and if you're using a work computer, you probably already are doing that without you, you actually knowing it. The reason for that is that if something 
is exploitable within your environment, either via the browser or accidentally via downloading something, it can do the least damage. If you yourself as a user on that computer, having really got access to manipulate how you install and uninstall and manipulate the registry, etc. And I guess the final word would just be, be careful. If there's a, a website with a lot of advertising on it, those tend to be dodgy websites anyway. And, or, or maybe they're just the Daily Mail. I don't know. I would stay away from them because there's probably alternatives. If you're looking for great articles, uh, I'm not sponsored by, but I would recommend Medium as a place to find really good articles that aren't just littered with adverts. There's generally a way to avoid advertising-ridden websites out there. So just take a look around. I think I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention that there are extensions, yes, ironic, I know, which are ad-blocking extensions. And I'm not going to recommend anyone in particular, but I recommend go looking around for those. They do work, although I am admitting asking you to add an extension. The last thing I'd like to mention, just simply because people listening to this might be saying, well, I wonder why I didn't mention privacy browsers like Tor or Tor is used for the dark web or Epic, which is just designed around keeping your, your, your existence sort of private uh, is the best way I can, I can, best word I can use to describe that. And that's the subject for a different podcast because privacy on the internet um, or anonymity, that is a very different subject and it's very different from security. So I'm going to tackle that in another episode, but it'll be a good one because I get to dive into the dark web a little bit, which will be, it'll be fun. Thanks for listening. This has been Codifier Episode 7, Part 2 on Browser Security. Codifier has a blog at codifier.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Codifier and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Codifier. Thanks for listening.